Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 14th, 2011. Now newcomers, look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for download. And remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can also order the books and discs I have for sale there. And from, from the U.S., always remember you can still use a personal check to Canada and you can use an international postal money order to Canada. You can use PayPal to order. Just use the donation button on the site I've got up there and follow it with an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And across the rest of the world, remember, you do have a Western Union MoneyGram for direct wire transfers, or you can use PayPal again to order using the donation button. And remember, straight donations would certainly be welcome because with the new taxes in Canada, this harmonized sales tax, GST, uh, idea which I've got in here, which is a value-added tax, things are skyrocketing on everything that you purchase. So donations are welcome. And, you know, I try in this particular talk, I hate to word, use the word show, there's not really another word for it. It's really a, a talk uh, circuit, if you like, of education where you can get ideas across to people to show them that the conditioning they've had since childhood is the lowest level of reality that can possibly be established for the people at the bottom who are going to be the workers and keep this whole system going for another hundred years or more on behalf of their betters, those above you, who you'll never even know their names of, actually. You'll see some of the, the middle workers, the presidents, prime ministers, but you don't see the ones way above them who really are a corporate uh, a gang, you might call it, but a corporate gang that's very well organized and they've been organized for an awful long time. They ran the last couple of centuries, have run this one too, and they have plans, big plans for this century as well. So I try to go through the documentation, the trails they leave behind them, and read from their own books if possible, because they do love to boast, especially retirees in the higher positions of management, uh, of uh, the big agenda, the big plan, and how they're so confident it will work. But... Most folks really are kept at the bottom level all the time because we're dependent upon news, which is simply the bottom dish out. It's the, it's the, the cattle feed for the cattle. And then you have different levels trying to analyze the cattle feed at the bottom uh, and find holes in the gaps of their theories as they continue down through time when they contradict themselves. And then you get higher into, as I say, the biographies and the books by the big associations, the big gangs that run the world, the corporate gangs. And they have lots of treaties signed on their behalf. They have, they have uh, their, their various agendas all signed in different pacts and agreements through the United Nations, which they run, of course. And they know exactly where they're going. So I try and show you uh, the different level, different perspective, uh, different perspective on reality and to how this whole system is really run and has been for an awful long time. These are the guys at the top who plan wars. They supply all the materials for wars, of course, to all sides. 
they profit off them mightily, but more than that, they get political reasons out of it too. Political goals are gained and achieved for a form of world empire. And as I say, it's been this for such an incredibly long time under the guise of uh, Nazism, uh, socialism, and we've had uh, the, the communist regime, soon Soviet Russia. Soviet was really just a, 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 a socialistic system. And now we have this form of uh, socialized democracy, which is the best way to keep all the people down below, um, weighed down under a massive bureaucracy of government officialdom. That's really the system we're under today on behalf of the big fascists at the top. That's all it is. That's all it really is. But you have to get into their books and see where they're going with it and how they want you to think and how they've trained you to think. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I've always been astonished at how the big boys want a particular agenda to go through and when they get problems, something happens. Either have wars or they have towers go down to get martial law and worldwide to be post-democracy, um, basically, post-democratic. And we are post-democratic. Now, if you haven't figured that out, I hope you, I hope you have. And they have uh, always threats and levels of threats and all the rest of it. And lately it's been the environment. We must give up all our rights for the environment and so on. And bingo, in Japan you have this earthquake under the sea and a massive tsunami. And then now we have, of course, in the triple things. Things go bad in threes, they say. And now you've got uh, the reactors, which are also three of them in line, uh, melting down apparently. And this is going to be fantastic for the big boys to get their new agenda through. As, mind you, they close all the coal plants down across the world at the same time through the Kyoto Protocols and all the other protocols have signed since their first meetings. And you will left maybe getting some sort of little dynamo you can put on your bicycle and pedal once in a while, I think, to get some electricity because they're bringing the whole thing down worldwide. They couldn't have hoped for something. So uh, let's put it this way, beautifully catastrophic as is happening right now with Japan. And, of course, they'll play it up and play it up to get global agreements signed. In fact, they're already talking about global agreements and a new type of order to deal with all of this. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, these guys could go to any casino and win on every table, obviously. Under the laws of chance, 50 times, uh, 50 different uh, experiments, basically you'd find 50% of all experiments done in a particular manner, should turn up half one way and half the other. Nothing ever turns up on half of the people, the general populations of the world. doesn't happen that way. It's always in the agenda's favor. Always. Amazing. So, maybe like the Chinese who say they've got all the luck, and maybe they do, but maybe they help it along sometimes as well. I'm sure there's all kinds of theories emerging right now, because even after the last tsunami, a whole bunch of stuff had just been released prior to that from the Official Secrets Act to do with uh, underwater bombs, which they could put in the, the fault lines and, and blow them up and cause tsunamis and stuff like that. But, but really, you'll never know. And that's the beauty of conspiracy theories. You, you can't prove them. The preponderance of evidence can always be weighed towards the guilty, but without an admission, nothing happens, you see. That's why it stays as a conspiracy theory. 
But right now, you know, all this panic in Japan as uh, the second nuclear reactor apparently is popping or has popped. That's definitely, it's the rods have definitely been exposed again to the air. And for some reason, they've got three different explanations as to why water isn't getting pumped in. And none of it makes much sense to us, but it's a panic situation. And to be honest with you, I don't think, I think they're past the last post of doing much about it at all. And uh, we'll see what happens there. Because once these things melt all together and the bottom drops out that reactor, and especially if there's water underneath there, after that massive um, tidal wave came in there, then you'll definitely have masses of steam going up, radioactive steam, never mind the steam that's already been released into the atmosphere. And uh, we'll see all the problems later down the road as it emerges which way the winds carried it. And I can remember even the Chernobyl one, which was a different type of reactor. It wasn't water-cooled. It was a lithium reactor, I think. And uh, it was lined that way. So it was mainly a powder that was released into the atmosphere. Uh, fine dust particles that travelled a long ways, even across Britain, and they told the people not to eat, gra- uh, eat milk or drink milk from the, the, the cows that had been on the certain pastures and certain areas where the winds had travelled across. All that is still to come out yet as they keep the world fairly calm. But I'm sure the big boys themselves have all their emergency responses and under readiness for all elites to save themselves should anything happen to blow their way. But that is the reality of this world. We exist really to serve a dominant minority. That's what they're called. That's what many have called them, like the Huxleys, call them a, a dominant minority. And they basically uh, hire a dominant hierarchy of scientists to work on their behalf and to direct the policies of universities across the world, the teaching curriculums and so on, to make sure that everyone's trained, including the managerial class, into the fake, the fake realities, basically, to manage the populations. Now, <laughs> I just got a, 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 an email there. It says 8,387 micros of this um, and the readings on the, on the scopes now are, are detecting radiation. So it's 8,387. So I'd say one of them just gone off. Uh, before it was about 1,000 or so. So it's gone up way above yonder. So I guess it's a triple reaction we're seeing as to what's happening there. And the U.S. is also um, reacting to it as well because they're pulling, they're pulling some of their ships out to different harbors and way offshore to get out of the range of radiation. And they've already detected radiation in three of their sailors, apparently. And uh, they're even evacuating all the staff and have been for the last few hours, I think, from the reactor sites themselves. So we shall see what comes out of that because uh, they'll cap it. They've capped the news in Japan and they'll cap it over our way too um, until it literally, literally, I mean literally, blows over, over your heads, that is. And we'll see what comes out of this. As I say, they couldn't get, you couldn't get this kind of luck happening. It just wouldn't happen to you. When you have all these different projects planned for the future, and bingo, here's the very thing that you need to happen, does happen. And uh, we'll be getting windmills in your backyard shortly to pipe electricity to somebody else's area, no doubt. Although you'll pay for them dearly uh, to have built uh, over and over again because they don't last too long and their maintenance actually is more than what they're worth so that's that for Japan until we find out what else is going to happen on it now 
George Soros is one of the big players. He's, clo- he's, he's above presidents and prime ministers. He works directly for the big banking families who lend to countries. And on March the 9th, he came out with an article called World Does Need Order. And it goes on about him here the, giving a talk at the Travelers Club in Paris just days after the Lehman Brothers had collapsed into bankruptcy the last time he did this talk. And he said, it was the most uh, tense days of my life, Mr. Soros lied. Sorry, said on a Wednesday while at the club for a talk on global financial regulation sponsored by the French-American Foundation. The market was on the verge of collapsing and it was touch and go. So he drew several lessons from the turbulent months. He says, the world does need order and that needs order needs maintenance. The idea that markets can correct their excesses turned out to be false. It's quite interesting because there's big bankers that pushed for the markets to be unregulated and let the bankers go to town and the stock market go to town and somehow it's supposed to magically balance itself out while they created bubbles all over the place and filled their pockets and lots of them retired on it. And new ones came in, they worked a little while and retired too. Anyway, he says, um, perfect order and global governance. He says, perfect order and global governance are not realistic expectations. However, it's a sad fact that Western democracies provide less successful leadership than China. He always uh, puts China up on the pedestal because China was made. Uh, by the way, they didn't create their own revolutions themselves and all the rest of it and come up to uh, a financial power and uh, uh, industrial power by themselves. They were financed and, and funded, and even their, their, their engineers were trained in all the Western universities. And through GATT and NAFTA, uh, your own leaders sold out your own factories to move over to China. The same happened, of course, in the Soviet Union, too, long before. So it's been held up as a perfect system because it's not democratic. It's still communistic or socialist, and you have a big totalitarian club at the top, and the public are very obedient, they're trained obedience in school, in scientific socialism, basically, and it works very well on them. They're very, very obedient. And that's what they like about China, is obedience to authority, ultimate total obedience to authority. Anyway, so he warned that China's model of state capitalism in which the interests of the individual are subordinated to those of the government. I'll repeat that part because they're all talking about this right now at the top level. Mr. Soros warned that China's model of state capitalism in which the interests of the individual are subordinated to those of the government posed a danger if its example became the envy of the world. We'd all want to emulate this, you know. And he says... Um, I'm more relaxed now that I'm retired, he said. Mr. Soros stepped down from daily management of his funds in 2000, re-emerging briefly in 2008 to steer them through the financial crisis. That means to make sure that all the loans now were given to the right cronies. For a man of Mr. Soros' varied interest, his so-called retirement doesn't mean rest. On his present grand tour, he's busy urging the European Union to clean up its financial house. Now, this man has no official position. He's never been elected to buy anybody. But he's got more power to dictate what's to be done. He's a technocrat. And Professor Carl quickly described these characters, technocrats. They go around the world. They're often the heads of big agencies and, and uh, these private foundations and so on. And they get things done. They're movers and shakers. They get things done very quickly, very efficiently, because they're not responsible to any government or any population. They're not responsible to voters in any way whatsoever. 
He says, and he's promoting a research group he co-founded called the European Council on Foreign Relations. That's just the European branch. Ryan had them all in individual countries for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, basically, CFR. They have one for, for the, the, the European Council of Foreign Relations, which advocates a more coordinated foreign policy for the United Union. It's just astonishing. It reminds me of which Arm, Armand Hammer was up to uh, a long time ago when he had... Uh, houses next to presidents in the U.S., and they had houses, in fact, apartments next to Lenin and then Stalin during the whole Soviet Union as they helped to pull the con game of the Cold War and so on and make sure that Russia was brought up to a, a high um, industrial position. Again, with all foreign companies helping building them, their, their, their plants for them, and foreigners being put over there to, as engineers to train them too. Same thing happened with China, of course. But I'll I'll touch on this again when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, reading an article by George Soros, who climbed to the top through shady means, of course, and he sunk uh, economies across the world by getting a couple of his pals together and making certain kinds of investments, betting on countries going down, and he did that in Britain too. He pulled the economy at one point, uh, broke the Bank of England, as they say, and then he raked in billions in profits. And he boasted about it in the newspapers afterwards in half a page in one of the, I think it was the London Times, how he did it. He was so proud of himself. So this is the kind of character, a gangster, of course, who's up there on behalf of his masters above him, who are far richer than him and have, believe you me, an awful lot of power, too, more power. But um, he, here he is giving his diktats on behalf of his masters and criticizing countries that don't go along with what they want them to do with the International Monetary Fund and so on. So he says here, uh, Germany and the Scandinavian countries are moving ahead, even as fellow members of the Eurozone, including Greece and Ireland, slip further behind, crushed by debt and crippled by budget cuts. That divided Europe, he said, is due to policies dictated by creditors like Germany. These creditors have made every effort to avert bank failures and postpone financial restructuring, he said, because they fear domino effect throughout Europe. And they're pushing out restructuring for fear of another Lemon uh, Lemon Brothers, Mr. Solo said, insisting that outstanding debt is sacrosanct. A bad private sector debt, for example, that held, by, that held by the Irish banks was guaranteed by Dublin 2008, became a sovereign debt problem. In other words, that Irish taxpayers been asked to pay bondholders who bet on reckless financial institutions. And that, that, that part is true. We shouldn't be paying off any debt to any of these gamblers, should we? The bondholders are, are protected because the authorities are worried about the banks uh, and they can't take their losses. As Mr. Soros said, he noted it was unfair that the taxpayer should be absorbing those losses. He really cares about the taxpayer, believe me, this character. The guy who jacked up the taxes, as I said, in Britain alone, massively because the British government had to go and borrow cash when he helped sink the economy. Instead, he said Europe should reorganize its rescue mechanism to supervise and protect the banking system across borders. So he wants this international rescue mission where we all pay off everyone else's debts to his masters. It should be available also to guarantee banks that become insolvent, he said. So 
he goes on and on and on about all his various criticisms, etc., and praises China again and uh, hopes we all become like China. And uh, I guess that's what they really do want, you see. There's something in the Western culture, an, an individual problem, and that's what it's called. The last enemy is called the, the individual problem, the occasional individual that still believes in personal rights, privacy, uh, freedom, and that kind of stuff. That's the problem. The United Nations has said it too many times over. So they've got to get rid of the individual in, in life and to make you comply and be go under even extra um, surveillance than everyone else because they can't trust you being an individual. You see, you'll never know what you'll really do. Next, you might say something that will change the world. Who knows? The Activist Post has a good article too about uh, the universal solution to the globalist problem. I think it's a bit naive because I know the guys at the top would never let it happen. But they go into uh, what Thailand has done, of course. Uh, it's gone against all the policies of the world. It's a very nationalistic country and they want to be self-sufficient. And um, it says uh, they've, they've tried to keep the IMF out of their, their hair altogether. Uh, they, they encourage everyone to grow food and so on. Because if you can't feed yourself, as they say, that you're a goner. You're under someone else's authority for your food rations. And um, they really are pushing for their own survival. And that's what every country should be doing. As his Thailand's answer to the IMF and globalization in general was profound in both implications as well as in its understanding of globalization's endgame. Fiercely independent and nationalistic and being the only nation in Southeast Asia to avoid colonization, Thailand's sovereignty has been protected for over 800 years by its revered monarchy. And it still goes under monarchy today. It says the answer, of course, is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency as a nation, as a province, as a community, and as a household. This concept is enshrined in the Thai king's new theory or self-sufficiency economy and mirrors similar efforts found throughout the world to break the back of the uh, oppression and exploited exploitation that results from dependence on globalist systems. Now, in globalist systems, when you hear the term interdependence, that's part of it. That means you've take, you're taken over for everything that you need to survive as a people, and personally, you have to get from outside, and that's what they're, they're against in Thailand. This is the foundation of the self-sufficiency economy is simply growing your own garden, providing yourself with your own food. It's portrayed in the back right-hand side of every 1,000 bats dollar. That's her bills there. Thai banknotes is a picture of a woman tending her garden. The next step is producing surplus that can be traded for income, which in turn can be used to purchase technology to further enhance your ability to sustain yourself and improve your lifestyle. As I say, it's very naive in some way because the big boys will never allow it. These are, but you're not dealing with people who who sit and have um, debates about taking out countries here. Uh, it's nothing, a snap, is to take out a country. Uh, as far as morality goes with these characters, they see everything as necessity for themselves, and it's immediate, and there's no remorse whatsoever, and it, they'd never allow it to happen. And no doubt they'll bring some Thailand down one way or another. One way or another. And you're finding, too, what's happening in Japan is, is causing a big uh, shock on the stock market. I should call it the shock market, actually. But it's causing them to plummet as well. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And apparently, as I say, that uh, the radiation leak over that uh, reactor plant is now 8,387 micros SV hour detected, and apparently over five is the unsafe level not to go outside, so this is way, way beyond that. And um, it doesn't look too great at all. And uh, they can't get enough water pumped in and so on. The rods were ex- exposed, and I think one of them melting down as we speak. Another one is melting down, so we'll see what happens as it gradually leaks into the newspapers, and we'll see what how they deal with it over here. And getting back to my stories, and remember, I put these articles up on cuttingthroughthematrix.com in the uh, tonight once I'm, I'm getting uploaded, and you can read them for yourselves. Now, in the investment news do with this particular incident here too. Um, it says, uh, mounting fears about the safety of nuclear power in the wake of a natural disaster in Japan is causing a sell-off in nuclear power stocks. Conversely, alternative energy stocks and exchange-traded funds have been boosted, a trend that experts will predict to, do, to happen for uh, some coming months. And of course it will, because they say it couldn't have happened at a better time for them. I mean, they, they needed this to happen. <laughs> they needed it to happen. This is the 8.9 earthquake and tsunami that devastated parts of Japan have caused power failures in three nuclear plants and uh, prompting worldwide concerns about the safety of nuclear energy. Anyway, it says in the the tragic events now unfolding in Japan, it could very easily occur in the United States, uh, said Representative Representative Ed Markey, who's a Democrat from Massachusetts, he says here. So he says, um, as a result of the growing concerns, funds that invest in nuclear energy have been hammered Market Vectors Nuclear Energy ETF was down nearly 13% in the afternoon trading. Likewise, iShares S&P Global Nuclear Energy Portfolio EFTF NUCL was off more than 11% from its opening price Monday. The Global X Uranium EFT plunges now 18%, or it's been down 18% all day. At the same time, alternative energy ETFs and stocks saw a big run up in price. So Guggenheim Partners uh, LLC Solar ETF was up 6.11 and Market Vector Solar Energy was up 6.46 in late afternoon trading. So this is going to be used for political hay and for changing again into this um, all kinds of this natural ways as they call it natural, which means plundering your pocketbooks and your bank uh, accounts and everything to pay to get a few volts of electricity from these awful wind machines and so on and. Um, much bigger things than that will come out of this too, obviously. Much, much bigger things than that will come out of this. Because they're not going to supply the whole area, a place like Canada, with windmills. Unless you want to move somewhere where they will. All this stuff will be discussed, and will be discussed right now, in fact, in higher places than, than my little place here. Now, It's interesting, too, that Germany also is talking about this right now. Um, and they're saying that what's happened in uh, Fukushima makes it hard to ignore the vulnerabilities of technology. And it could spell the end of nuclear power. 
German commentators argued on Monday, the government on Berlin might now cave in to mounting pressure to suspend its 12-year extension of reactor lifetime, as they say. See, all these reactors, too, have already got a set lifetime, and then they're supposed to be scrapped, dismantled, and all the cores taken out of them and put elsewhere. But they haven't been doing it because big business wants big profits always, and you always find that safety lags way behind them. And uh, we'll see what comes out of this. It's just reasons of data protection, privacy. Oh, but blah, wait, wait, wait a minute, I'm off this here. The nuclear reaction at Japan's Fukushima plant following Friday's earthquake and Saddam has led to anxious questions in Germany about the safety of its own nuclear reactors and is putting the government under pressure to rethink its decision to extend plant lifetimes by an average of 12 years. German media commentators across the political spectrum are saying the accident in a highly developed nation such as Japan is further evidence that nuclear power isn't safe. One commentator in the Conservative, uh, Die Welt, went as far to liken the global impact of the Fukushima explosions to that of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And actually say in other articles too that I've read, they're going to give this the same, get the same political hay out of this as it did from the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And that will definitely happen, by the way. Definitely happen. Now, to show you who are above the bottom level of understanding things, uh, and the ones who know who built up the Soviet system, if you've read uh, enough books, um, and you see the big corporations that funded, and, and the banks that funded the rising up of the Soviet system, and the big corporations in America itself, who even supplied parts for their MiG jets and so on, your, your standard well-known aircraft manufacturers, uh, then you know that there's no fear of any enemy whatsoever. It's the dialectic approach. You've got to have an enemy to get more mon- money from uh, the taxpayer to keep you safe and invest in research and development and high weaponry and all that kind of nonsense, which they immediately share with whatever opponent they, they claim that they have. And that happened all through the, the, the Cold War too. I used to be amazed as a child when you read about the scientists from Britain, the top scientists went over to the Soviet Union and having two weeks to a month with them in conversations, meeting them all, it's exchanged information. Even when they were telling you that this war would be won by those with the highest and most advanced technologies. It made no sense to me. Anyway, here they go with China. There's no fear of China whatsoever. New cyber attack fears over the Chinese Red Army Lab being used for BT broadcast tests. And that's British Telecom, massive corporation. It's a controversial Chinese telecoms company with close links to the Red Army is developing equipment to be used in millions of British homes. New technology is to be rolled out as part of BT's £2.5 billion plan for super-fast broadband to reach two-thirds of UK homes and offices by 2015. But the testing of internet and telecoms equipment in Chinese laboratories 7,000 miles away has raised security fears over the sharing of technology to between, between Britain and China. Well, this, this is contradictory, obviously. They're already, they're already doing it. And it says, telecoms giant uh, Huawei which has a turnover over of £17 billion and employs 110,000 staff around the world, has strong ties to the Chinese military, which security experts warn could make Britain vulnerable to cyber attack. Dr. Kim Howells, the former chair of Parliament's Intelligence Security Committee, described the shared operation between BT and Huawei as very worrying. 
It says, I would urge caution here because I know the intelligence agencies are very wary about sharing technology with the Chinese. The truth is that no matter how a Chinese company presents itself, it is never really separate from the state or free from government, uh, Chinese government diktats. Because, you see, uh, they are. Uh, this is a, Chinese, a so-called communist uh, society. And you must even join uh, the local uh, bosses of communism to get your business license. So you're in on the inside, and you must go along by their policies. You're not allowed to do what you want as a business over there. So it gives key, uh, Chinese a key component at the heart of British communications. Investigation by the Mail on Sunday is located at the testing center at the headquarters of Huawei in the city of Shenzhen, a province of Guangdong. Here, Chinese technicians have built exact copies of the computers and telecom systems used by BT to serve its customers in the UK. There's no patent problems with them either when they do things like that, you know. So, there's no, uh, there are no enemies, you understand, except when they want to hype it up uh, in your conscious mind so you'll give up more rights and, and let them tax you even more, just like another Cold War standoff and build all their super stuff that they eventually used to enslave you. That's what the Cold War really did. It brought all the technology out, developed it all with your taxes, not to fight the Soviet Union, but to control all of you once all that Cold War was over. Because governments can only exist, technically, under the pretense of keeping the people safe. And if there's no, if no enemy, they've got to invent one or create one, at least the impression of one. And that's how it's done. It's a very simple technique. It's always worked before. And even when you're going down uh, the tubes financially, all the countries are going down the tubes so that the bank failures, except for the bankers themselves, of course, and their employees as they give themselves, you know, billions and bonuses. Thanks to you again, your taxpayer and your children to come forevermore with compound interest. It says, number of billionaires soars despite the downturn. They're not calling it a depression, it's a downturn, you understand. The number of billionaires in the UK has increased to 32, with the Duke of Westminster, uh, Gerald Cavendish Grosvenor, against named the country's richest man. The Grosvenor family are ancient, as far as I know. Despite the property slump, the 59-year-old landowner increased his worth to, I think it was uh, $13 billion, but still only managed 57th on the Forbes Global Rich List. Despite the global economic downturns of Forbes' 25th list of richest people on the planet, so the number of billionaires increased by 214 to a record 1,210. And believe you me, that's only one level of them. You know, above them all, you have the Rothschilds and other ones, way, way, way above that. Never mind the Queen of England. The world's richest man was Texican telecoms tycoon Carlos Slim Hillu, who topped the list for a second year and increased his wealth by $20.5 billion to $74 billion. And Microsoft boss Bill Gates was second with $56 billion, and investor Warren Buffett was third with $50 billion. Also on the list are the six Facebook billionaires, including founders Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the guy who said you're a bunch of silly, you know, effers, and Eduardo Saverin, as well as the world's youngest billionaire, Dustin Muscovich, who is just 26. They get their money by working with intelligence agencies and selling them information, folks, if you didn't know what they actually do and why they're allowed to do it and who sets them up in the first place. And it says the other three Facebook rich are Sean Parker, Peter Thiel, and Russian inventor Yuri Milner. 
Property tycoons David and Simon Rubin were second in the UK rich list with $8 billion, followed by high street mogul Sir Philip Green with $7.2 billion. And other UK billionaires included Harry Potter, author J.K. Rowling, who's worth, uh, she's rolling in money, all right, $1 billion and has been on the list for a number of years. And the richest UK resident was Indian steel magnate uh, Lashmi, Lakshmi Mittal, who was sixth richest in the world with $31.1 billion fortune. So the rich get richer because, like Rothschild said, you make your money when the blood's running in the street. That's when you can demand the highest prices for everything during times of financial catastrophe, downturns, depressions, and all the rest of it. And you can just buy land up like crazy, especially if you help put folk out from the land itself and stuff like that. Quite something, eh? And then slavery again. Let's get back to slavery in prison. And the prisons are building, the private prisons. Some folk used to think it's some terrible night. I have spoken to some very naive people. And you talk about the privatization of prisons. You say, oh, that's nice that people want to take them over and, and look after the prisoner. They haven't, haven't got a clue of reality. That's the taxpayer will fund these companies and the maintenance of these companies. And these companies use the prisoners as slave labor. Army recruits uh, prisoners to make body armor. And it says, um, building parts for Patriot missile systems was just a warm-up, apparently for a government-owned company that relies on federal inmates making as little as 23 cents an hour. On Wednesday, the U.S. Army announced it handed Federal Prison Industries a no-bid nearly $20, billion, $20 million contract to build body armor. It's the latest in a decades-long string of military deals for FPI, also known as Unicor, private corporation. Over the years, the company has supplied parts for F-15 and F-16 fighter jets, the Cobra attack helicopter, and the iconic Patriot interceptor system. And it says, but this deal is particularly odd because FPI's track record with protective equipment is, to put it generously uneven, in May of last year, the Army recalled 44,000 FPI-made protective helmets after they failed ballistic testing. FPI then promptly got out of the helmet business. That rather serious blemish on FPI's record hasn't stopped the Army from going back to the firm for uh, it's, it's almost $20 million worth of bulletproof uh, outer tactical vests according to the Army's contract announcement. The gear is supposed to be for Pakistan, presumably for the Pakistani military, although a State Department told suppliers Wednesday that wants 1,000 vests in Pakistan too. The vest-making will be done at Federal Correction Facilities in Yazoo City, Mississippi, one of 70 prisons where inmates make anywhere from $0.23 cents to $1.15 per hour, building everything from clothing to office furniture to solar panels to military electronics. Exactly which military electronics FPI's nearly 20,000 prisoners built is a matter of some dispute. However, according to FPI's website, the company supplies numerous electronic components and services for guided missiles, including the Patriot Advanced Capability. It's called the PAC-3 missile. So, once again, the slave labor goes on. Nothing really changes, you know, down through history. It's just your perception changes of it, because they call it something else. But slavery is slavery is slavery. And uh, technically, we're all slaves to the system. We're wage slaves to the system. And our purpose is to be good, good consumers and producers and taxpayers and go off to war when we're told to go to war and do stuff like that, just to obey. That's your purpose as a citizen. Now, 
the eugenic studies that they're doing are, are astonishing right now because they, they really give you an insight into what's to come down the road as they know uh, that uh, the lifestyles are that the lifespans are going to get shorter in people uh, you see a country that's supposedly bankrupt a thousand times over britain again taxpayers to pay for a 33.5 uh, million pound government study of children's life's chances as it cuts child benefits and school funding 90,000 babies and their families will be studied from the cradle to the grave. This is not the first time I've done this, by the way. In a landmark research project to measure health and happiness. Health and happiness. Better be happy if there's more money in their pocket instead of going to a study like this. Pregnant mothers will be approached next year to enter their unborn babies in the study, which also attracts social mobility in later life. Researchers will probe a child's sleeping and feeding patterns and numbers of kind of food you eat and so on, what can you afford, as well as trying to assess how happy their families seem. Uh, so 90,000 babies will attract up until their first birthday. They'll also collect blood samples, examine levels of vitamins and minerals, because you see, they know that we're getting fed. We're being undernourished now because of the, the lack of various minerals and vitamins in the food we're eating today because they are so depleted to keep using the same fields over and over. They don't rotate them like they used to do, and the supply was supposed to be taken out of the soil by uh, stuff from the chemical factories. And then, of course, they soak it with pesticides to kill you off. So all that, all that will be studied along with this, too. It's probably the real reason for it. And so a new giant research center will be established to hold the data and study educational and career achievements as well as monitor health problems. And they know what kind of health problems they're looking for because they know what's happening to society, especially when they bump up the inoculations too in more younger and younger children. So Science David Willits Minister announced the funding for the 212th birth cohort study. Interesting name, eh? Birth cohort study. And it says, here's an excuse for it. It hopes the data will help them make medical breakthroughs about long-term diseases. Oh, what a joke, eh? It's to make sure that their takedown of us all with fertility uh, going down the tubes and so on is on track. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. It's interesting that every country has uh, people who they're awfully supported of, people who support the prime ministers or presidents. It it, it doesn't matter what they do, uh, the big boys are always behind them because they know too much, you see. But in Canada, there was an ethics czar, they call it ethics czar. Believe this, we have ethics czars here now. And the prime minister, Stephen Harper, is defending the $500,000 and tax dollars, of course, paid as hush money to the woman who apparently swept for on his behalf roughly 50 fraud allegations against his government. So that's her job was under the, the guidance of ethics are she managed to throw them all under the rug so they're no, not, no, not noticed and don't come back on whoever's in government at the moment. It just happens to be Harper. It doesn't matter who gets in next either, by the way. He said, that's pretty reasonable, only 10,000 each, or maybe we should give her Charlie Sheen's phone number, it says. An alliance of more than 30 advocacy groups from labor unions to the animal welfare associations has asked the government to cancel the severance package worth more than $500,000 that was paid out to disgraced integrity commissioner Christian, I think it's Oymet, it says here. 
The alliance, which calls itself the Government Ethics Coalition, points out that severance is normally given to people who are laid off or fired, not for those who voluntarily retire, and it's usually paid out at a rate of one to two weeks' pay for every year served. And, of course, the woman who made a fortune protecting the big guy, that's the Prime Minister, is crying foul, thick as thieves. But they have to do this because, as I say, um, <laughs> she knows so much, you see, they always get a good payoff when they leave in case they say anything else uh, that they shouldn't say. And, of course, they always threaten to do that too, uh, to up the ante and see whether they can get a better deal offered to them. That's the real world we live in, you know. Uh, it's, it's just gangs at the top. And the middle class gangs, the upper middle class gangs that the Harpers and so on belong to are really not even halfway up the totem pole to those that run the world. They're just a little front people told years before when it's their turn to be prime minister because they're groomed for it and selected for it way in advance before the public even know their names. And that's how it's been for an awful long time. And they're all members of the same associations, Council of Foreign Relations and... Um, and Professor Carl Quigley stated that in his own book, being the historian for that group, he said every prime minister and president uh, since the late 1800s has worked for this group, been a member of them, even before they were called the CFR, they were already in existence, to make sure that they always get their man in, or woman in, doesn't matter, because they have them selected for both sides, all parties, basically. That's how they keep control of the world and keep us taxed to death and bringing in new new taxes more and more and more all the time uh, until we're going into austerity. As I said before, austerity means poverty, really, and you're now in this age of austerity where the money you'd have in your pocket to spend on extras and things you want to replace or fix or whatever, uh, you won't be able to do anymore because it will be taken off you in services, fees, and taxes until you can just barely survive. That's the plan for the Americas and for a good chunk of the world as well, by the way. That's what austerity is all about. The, the big, the, the bar stewards, obviously bar stewards, uh, who melted down the economy the last time, on purpose, by design, on cue, and on the right date, of course, because they always pick their dates for things, whether it's towers or banks, also decided to bring in the next phase of austerity, where they'd plundered you even more to the grave, and then turn you into a mushy liquid soup, which is environ-friendly, which, of course, their companies will sell to you and pour you in the back garden to help the fertilizer. Anyway, from Hamish, myself, from Chair Canada, it's good night, Mayor God or your gods go with you.